Hi, my name is Catherine Milan, and I am the journalist, researcher, editor, and host of The Story Capture. This is part one of my criminal investigation series covering the arrest and ongoing trial of one Gerardo Caraceto Ramirez, a Cuban immigrant, a husband, a self-proclaimed pastor, and possibly a child rapist and human trafficker. Ramirez's story first caught my eye in May 2017 because several of the North Florida news outlets wrote a quick rundown of the arrest and pending investigation. This case stayed in my mind, mostly because of the severity of the crimes. Thirteen pending counts of sexual battery and molestation on two females under 12 and possible involvement in forced labor and human trafficking. Attacking children and participating in trafficking? An ongoing investigation involving the FBI? It sounded like there could be more to the story. So I started digging. Ramirez was born on September 24, 1964, in Cuba. His Facebook page claims that he is a pastor evangelista, and according to his wife's Facebook profile, Gladys Ramirez has worked at two churches, Anastasia Baptist Church and South Putnam Church. Ramirez's profile and cover photo on Facebook are both photos of he and his wife smiling and holding each other. This is all in sharp contrast to the horror story that unfolded while I read the police reports detailing the victim's claims. The victims, E.P. and A.P., as they are known in the court documents, have been haunting my thoughts all summer. With a little searching, I discovered their names and ages. E.P. was 10 years old at the time of the crimes, and A.P. was only 8 years old. According to the Putnam County Warrant for Ramirez's arrest, all of the instances of alleged sexual assault occurred between October 2016 and April 2017. The descriptions of the crimes vary, but the main victim seems to have been E.P., the oldest child. Ramirez allegedly penetrated her with his fingers and penis, both vaginally and anally. One of the instances was even while E.P. was riding in the car with Ramirez. He pulled over into a gas station while her younger sister, A.P., and Ramirez's wife slept in the car. A.P. witnessed many of the attacks on her sister, but the two girls were frightened into silence. Ramirez would supposedly beat E.P. if she cried or screamed, and often threatened to report her family to immigration officials. E.P. and her family are from Guatemala and still in the process of becoming United States citizens. According to court documents, E.P. and A.P. lived at Ramirez's house for an undisclosed amount of time and for reasons unknown to me. Many alleged abuses occurred at his home. Ramirez would beat E.P. if she screamed while he raped her in the bathroom. A.P. was also raped and molested on multiple occasions. Of course, one of my first questions was, how is this allowed to happen? E.P. and A.P.'s parents apparently faced their fears of deportation and told the Putnam County Sheriff's Office in April of 2017 that they feared Ramirez was victimizing their children. Also, according to the Sheriff's Office, Ramirez may have been attacking children of other undocumented Hispanic families because their vulnerable immigration status makes them reluctant to come forward. Ramirez was arrested on May 18, 2017, around 10 p.m. in St. Augustine, Florida. He pleaded not guilty on June 30, 2017. On October 10, 2017, I attended his pre-trial hearing at the Putnam County Courthouse. Gerardo looked different from the photos on his Facebook profile. Older, and he has a thick black mustache instead of a clean-shaven face. He looks tired, and he was definitely balder at the courthouse than in his photos. 
He walked into the courtroom, chained around the waist and handcuffed, wearing a plain, dark blue prison jumpsuit. He immediately looked around the courtroom. That's when I realized I was sitting one person away from his wife and another woman who was obviously accompanying her. His face lit up when he saw her and he spent the next 45 minutes looking back and smiling at her and making kissy faces. His attorney, Stephanie Park, requested and was granted a 60-day delay on the case. She said that she was having a challenging time investigating because the victims, their parents, and Ramirez himself don't speak English. His next pretrial hearing is set for December 5, 2017. Ramirez is being charged with five capital offenses for sexual battery on a person less than 12 years old and one felony offense for lewd molestation on a person under 18 years old. The felony offense, if he is convicted of it, will land him in prison for life. My next question was, why? If Ramirez really did commit these heinous crimes against innocent children, why did he do them? And if he is convicted of them, but doesn't get life in prison, will he get some type of clinical help when he is released from jail so he is less likely to violate anyone again? I subsequently interviewed John Davis, a sex offender therapist in North Florida. Here's some of our interview. How long have you been doing this sex offender therapy? Well, I've been involved in uh, sex offender therapy now, geez, um, I guess about seven or eight years. When you're doing a treatment with somebody, how long does it last? Like, for example, an adult male who got out of jail, how long do you work with him? Um, it's really individualized, but I would say the average length of stay for active phase of treatments for, for an adult population is um, two to three years. Have you found that it that it seems to work, you know, with, with people? Right. I, right, and that's one of the most difficult questions to, to answer. Um, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know mm-hmm. what somebody's going to do in the future. Or, you know, and we, part of our treatment, we, um, we utilize polygraph examinations. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing um, if they're abiding by their safety mandates and um, being truthful and honest in treatment. Um, and uh, so I would say most of them do, you know what I mean? Um, right. And from, you know, your experience working with people, and I would imagine kind of hearing some of their life stories, how do you think people become sex offenders? Um, you know, there's not one, there's not one, um, one thing. I, I mean, that's kind of, uh, you know, if you can figure that out, then you could uh, really, uh, you know, save and help people out there if you can kind of identify that. So we just look at correlates. We look at correlates of, uh, of risky behaviors and, and, and use an evidence base that say, okay, these correlations, you know, um, hypersexuality, uh, um, use of substance abuse, um, somebody who has been abused themselves, and, you know, it's not a causality, but it's correlation. Mr. Davis went on to explain that sex offenders are treated a lot like recovering drug addicts. Once they are released from jail and during and after their treatment, they are told to avoid high-risk situations. While a drug or alcohol abuser is told to avoid a bar or a previous hangout spot where they used to use drugs, sex offenders are told to avoid places where they may be triggered into reoffending as well. This could be anything from a children's playground to a strip club to a pornography website or public bathroom. Like Mr. Davis said in the interview, there's no way to know whether the treatment will work or not. Because of the nature of an ongoing criminal investigation involving not just Putnam County Sheriff's Office, but also the FBI and Homeland Security, the Sheriff's Office and all government departments involved 
declined to comment for this story. I will continue to post updates as the trial continues, and hopefully Ramirez's family, the victim's family, and the churches where Ramirez's wife worked will be available for comment in the near future.